And you guys can have a seat and let me add my word of welcome. Welcome to Gospel City Church. My name is Tyler Holder and I am our pastor of young adult and men's discipleship and I'm excited to be opening God's word with you this morning. If you would, grab your Bibles and find your way to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning, and it's where we've been for the past few weeks. And as you do, let me ask this question. How many of you were fans of Kids Say the Darndest Things? Come on, right? I, I love that show, and here, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why I love that show. One of them is it gives me hope as a parent that I'm not really just failing always, okay? So I, like, I'm always expecting my kids to show up maybe in, in that show and some of the things that they've said. And as I've thought about really some of the things my own children have said, man, it's just, it's just really wowed me. Right? In fact, this past week, I asked Janelle, I said, babe, what, what have Jackson Adelaide said recently that's just kind of, what? You know, what? And, and she said, oh, I, I got that. They, they looked at me and said, mommy, if we're made of dust, why don't we turn to mud in the bathtub? <laughs> that's so theologically rich. Right? I'm like, well, I, I don't know. Why don't you? Uh, I'll have to figure that out. Or I asked my mother-in-law. I said, Ma, tell me, what are some things Janelle said growing up? And she said, oh, that's easy. She looked at me one day and said, Mommy, were all the women at your wedding chasing Daddy? And were you the one that caught him? Is that why you got to keep him? And I thought, well, he's, he's a catch. He's a real swell guy. And I'm really glad you got him, Ma. Right? And, and as I just think through all the different types of questions, some of the other questions that I've seen kids ask, right? Why is the Death Star not called the Shooting Star? Y'all don't like Star Wars. That's fine. That's fine. Just Google it. Right? Or, or man, why did you say Grandma's annoying? I'm like, ooh, please don't, please don't say that out loud, right? Or, uh, hey, what did it feel like on the last day you were a child? Well, I don't know yet. Let me, I'll tell you when I get there, right? Or why do spiders run away when I fart? <laughs> They're not the only ones, bud, All right? And, and, and lastly, man, hey, daddy, why is there a beard under your arms? That's a really good question, but I don't know, right? I, I love it because what kids show us is they show us the joy that questions bring. I mean, they show us the excitement that questions have. And, and I don't think we're too far removed from kids say the darndest things. Like I, I would venture to say some of you, we could have a show of adults say the darndest things, right? Like, hey, does this make me look fat? Mm, I don't, the answer is always no, right? Or man, do you want fries with that? Or how much does that cost? Or what time do we have to be there? The reality is, is that all of us have as a driving part of our souls, the desire to ask and answer questions. Man, I don't know about you, but man, I ask questions all the time. And, and I love that in the past few weeks here at Gospel City, if you've been paying attention, we've been unpacking the doctrine of scripture and as we've unpacked this doctrine in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we've been, we've been asking some questions. I don't know if you remember, but two weeks ago, Mitchell Helmkamp stood up here for his very first sermon at Gospel City, and he asked us a question. Mitchell's question to us as a church was simply this, is the Bible truly God's word? Well, that's a great question, Mitch. That's a really good question question. Because if what we hold in our hands or if what is on our devices isn't truly God's word, if he didn't say what's in this book, then why are we here? 
And what authority or what power or what hope do we have if this isn't God's word? Last week, Pastor Trent stood up here and I love Pastor Trent. I'm grateful to be, um, serve alongside of him. And he asked us the question, is the Bible truly the authority in my life? And I love it because all of us, all of us are under authority. Even if you have a little bit of a rebellious spirit, sometimes I can have a little bit of a rebellious spirit and I can think, man, I'm my own authority. But even if I think my autonomy is greater than God's authority, I'm still subjecting myself to something. And I love what Pastor Trent said. He said, man, if, if your behavior is contrary to what God has declared is right, then your behavior needs to change. And your behavior doesn't change in a hope of behavioral adaptation or modification. Your behavior changes as you submit yourself to the word of God that he's declared to us. We've been asking a lot of questions. Mitchell's question got us to the, or to the point of inspiration. And we talked about inspiration two weeks ago. And inspiration is simply this, that God has said. And he used a $10 word. He said this, this word that we hold in our hands is the verbal plenary word of God. In other words, God has declared with his words, with his voice, this is what he has said. Last week, Pastor Trent talked about authority, and authority is simply this. Since God has said, I will believe. Because look, you're gonna jack it up. You're gonna mess it up if it's up to you, if it's up to me. Man, this whole place is gonna burn down. But it's not. It's up to what God has declared is right and true. So this morning as we gather together and as we kind of cap off this series on the doctrine of God's word, we're gonna ask a question this morning. And the question we're gonna ask this morning is gonna focus and address this issue called sufficiency. And we're gonna ask the question, is God's word enough? Is God's word enough? Because sufficiency, when we look at it, when we break it down, sufficiency is simply this. What God has said is enough for me to know him and to live a life pleasing to him. So church, do we believe in the word? Do we grasp and understand the, the gift that the Bible is to us? Do we truly honestly think that God has said something and that what he has said is my authority? And if he has said it, I will believe it. And if he has said it, he has declared to me enough to know who he is and to live a life pleasing to him. That's the beautiful doctrine of scripture, the doctrine of God's word. So this morning, as we look at just two verses, 2 Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17, hopefully you have them almost memorized by now. We're gonna look at a few main areas where we will be tested where you and I will be tested to see if we truly believe that the Bible is enough. You ready? 2 Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17. Paul writing and declares through the inspiration of God, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So the first area we're gonna look at in our time in God's word today to see if we truly believe the Bible is enough is simply this. It's this question, is God's word enough to make me complete. Now let me ask you, 
this morning, was there anyone among us who woke up and said, you know what, I really desire to be incomplete today? Did anybody start their day thinking that, right? Where you just kind of left off a sock, you got dressed, forgot to put on deodorant, you stink, bro, right? None of us woke up aspiring to be incomplete. In fact, I would venture to say that there's nothing worse in life than getting to page 153 in the Lego book to know and find that you're missing a piece. Maybe you're not in a Lego kind of frame of mind. There's nothing worse than putting a thousand piece puzzle together and only having 999, right? None of us desire or aspire to be incomplete. So when we look at God's word, it, it asks the question and it gives us the opportunity to acknowledge that, man, we, we aren't complete. We aren't complete separated from God. We aren't complete without his word. So this morning, who among us desires and strives for completeness rooted in God's word? I would venture to say all of us do. In fact, if you recall the setting of 2 Timothy chapter 3, the setting of 2 Timothy chapter 3 paints for us the picture of the problem we all have. And the problem we all have is that we're all born incomplete. If you'll just scan to a few verses before our text this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Look at the setting that Paul paints for us. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For the people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. They will be proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful and unholy. They'll be heartless and unappeasable. They'll be slanderers without self-control. They'll be brutal, not loving good, treacherous and reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. See, what Paul has shown us in 2 Timothy chapter three, he's shown us that the context of what he's writing to Timothy about, he's, he's writing to Timothy who's living in a world where people are striving to complete themselves by being lovers of self. And they're always coming up short. And that's the same world that you and I were born into. A world where we have a fractured relationship with God, born into this world as a default, sinful lover of self. And the reality is, is that to go from a lover of self to a lover of God, we have to respond to the word of God and realize that God's word, God's word isn't given merely for your information. God's word is given for your transformation. So as we respond to God's word, what we see and what we realize as we've worked our way through 2 Timothy chapter three, what we've seen is that his word is clearly given to us in the Bible. That his word has been inspired and written down and we have access to it today. And we've seen as we've worked through 2 Timothy chapter three over these many weeks that the ultimate authority for how we are and to operate in Christ is found in his word. Now that we have new life in Christ, man, if you are a faithful disciple of Jesus, if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, if you have new life, and what we pour into ourselves is no longer our strivings or our desires to be a lover of self. What we pour into ourselves is the authoritative, inspired, sufficient word of God. 
that each and every day I need a filling, each and every day I need his word, each and every day I need him. That's how we go from a lover of self to a lover of God. That's how we go from incomplete to complete. In fact, here in our text today, notice how Paul progresses within our passage. He begins first by affirming the inspiration of scripture in, verses, in verse 16. He, he then affirms the authority of scripture. Remember what Pastor Trent said last week, it's the word of God that can teach and reprove and correct and train us in righteousness. And then here in verse 17, notice the response or the reason why scripture would do that. Do you see it in verse 17? The reason why the word of God would teach, reprove, correct, and train us in righteousness is so that the man of God may be complete. I love that word, by the way, complete. The word that Paul uses there is a word that means capable or proficient. It's a word that carries with it the sense of being fully fitted out or furnished or equipped with every necessary equipment. How many of you have a friend who's a gadget guy or gal? Like, it's not me, so if you're thinking me, it's not, right? If we're friends, just know, I got nothing for you, right? I have a, a dear friend who is a gadget guy. In fact, we all know him. I call him the original Pastor Tyler. He is the gadget guy. Man, if, it, if there's an accessory, he's got it, right? In fact, a few weeks ago, we decided to pony up and go on a camping trip together and we pack our bags, we get in the car, we drive to the trailhead and as we get out of the car, Tyler pulls out a miniature luggage uh, like scale. And I was like, bro, what, what are you doing? He said, we gotta weigh our bags. And of course it turned into a competition, right? Who had the lightest? He won, right? So we're weighing on I'm like, bro, that's genius. Like, I wanna know how much weight I'm carrying on my bag, or in my back, like, that, that's great. And then we start on the trail and we're walking. I'm like, bro, I am, I am straight dying. I got the wrong shoes. I feel like Janelle at this moment. Like, I'm, what shoes should I bring? I picked the wrong ones. My toenail's about to fall off. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrific. Tyler, my feet are about to die. He goes, don't worry, man, I got you. I got this thing called Luco tape. That's not a Russian figure skater. That's an actual thing. I'm like, bro, what is Luco tape? He goes, trust me. So I take my shoes off my socks. He wraps my feet in tape. I'm like, bro, that... That's genius. Like, that's amazing. We get to our campsite. Now, you gotta know this about me. I barely made it past Cub Scouts. Like, Weeblow was where I, like, rested. And if you have no idea what that means, praise the Lord for you, right? But I, I, I was barely there. So I thought it would be a great idea to bring, like, a titanium or magnesium rod and shave magnesium and then strike flint to start a fire. Again, not a Boy Scout. So I'm, I'm building this fire and I'm shaving magnesium, I'm trying to strike it, I turn around. And by the time I turn back, Tyler pulls out a butane torch. <laughs> Bro, that's genius. Like, man, you are the gadget guy. He had everything he needed. He was fully equipped for anything that this camping trip would bring us. And by the end of it, we weighed our packs again. I think I had a lighter pack than he at the end. That just means I ate more, um, right? The beautiful part about that is that he was fully furnished for everything. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 17, what Paul's declaring is that what the word of God enables us to do is to be fully furnished, to be equipped for whatever would come our way. And in my mind, I just think through the conversations that Paul probably had with Timothy, where Timothy looks at Paul and says, Paul, 
These people in Ephesus are so horrific. They are mean, they hate me. And Paul goes, I know, God's word's sufficient for that. Timothy goes, no, no, you don't understand, Paul. You don't understand, I have no qualified leaders. I don't even know what this local church should look like in Ephesus. And he goes, Timothy, God's word is sufficient for that. Well, Paul, you don't understand. They're like a thorn in my side. You've never had anything like that. Say like, what? <laughs> Timothy, God's word is sufficient for that. It's able to make you complete to make you fully furnished for anything that would come your way. Timothy, where are you rooting yourself? To which I would ask us, Gospel City, where are we rooting ourselves? Because I think all of us, all of us would affirm on a Sunday morning that God's word is enough. But sometimes our affirmations on Sunday don't match our actions on Wednesday. Our affirmations are wonderful. Yes, God's word is enough. Yes, he is able to, to take my incomplete, my brokenness and make me complete. But let me ask it another way. Is God's word enough? Is it enough to resist temptation? Is God's word enough, not just in its macro application in your life, is God's word enough for you on a Wednesday afternoon, on a Thursday night to resist temptation? Let me ask you, when you encounter temptation, do you truly believe that God's word is enough? Do you truly believe that his word is enough? Many of us, myself included, by the way, would say yes, but in the moment of temptation, many of us fall prey to actually believing that it's not. And I'm gonna be honest with you. My greatest temptations in life center around two things. For me, I know each and every week I'm gonna be tempted in one of two ways. I'm gonna be tempted in my pride because I think I'm great. I'm the president of the Tyler Holder fan club, treasurer too. And I'm gonna be tempted in my pride and I'm gonna be tempted in lust. I mean, I want that. I need that. And in those moments, my affirmation on Sunday morning will show itself in my actions. And here's what I've found. That in and of myself, I will build rules, roadblocks, and ramparts against that temptation. And in and of myself, I will trust first and I will flee first to the things that I have created before I run to God's word. And each and every time I do that, disaster is not far behind. If instead I flee first to God's word when I'm tempted with pride or tempted in lust and I remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God, he's faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Man, when my mind runs to scripture, my affirmation on Sunday matches my actions on Wednesday. But church, here's what you have to realize. In order for our minds to run to scripture, in order for us to truly put into practice that God is enough, we need to know what his word says. So let me ask you, 
Is God's word enough for you? When you're on the floor and you're working through the line and your coworkers are saying nothing, nothing but inappropriate comments, is God's word enough for you to resist that temptation? Is God's word enough for you, student, when you're sitting in a class and your teacher and everyone around you is declaring that faith is dead, God is dead, and for you to believe so is foolish and don't you dare open your mouth and say you do. Is God's word enough in that moment to resist the temptation to cowtail and not speak and rather be bold in the proclamation of the gospel? Is God's word enough? Is God's word enough for you to resist the temptation that when you're around neighbors or coworkers or friends and the conversation quickly goes to slander and gossip? Is God's word enough for you to take a step back and go, look, we can't partake in that? Is God's word enough for you to resist the temptation? Or do our actions say another word? God's word is enough for you to be complete. It is sufficient for you to know him, his will, and to live a life pleasing to him. And it is able, it is able to rescue. Is God's word enough to resist temptation? Is God's word enough to remain peaceful? Now I know what you're thinking. It's been a pretty chill 24 months. Nothing of worldwide significance has happened. I get that. I'm right there with you, right? There's never been any anxiety, worry, or fear in my heart over the past two years. Maybe I'm alone in that. But chances are there have been moments in your lives, moments in your hearts where you have struggled with anxiety, worry, and fear. In fact, I I think through all of the graduation parties that are happening and I fast forward in my life 12 years to when I'm gonna be in the place where many of you parents are right now and I think of the potential anxiety, fear, and worry that I would have for my children. There's anxiety, fear, and worry in this room and I know it and I see it each and every week in the prayer requests you tell us. I see the anxiety, fear, and worry over whether or not you should pursue a new job, over the decisions that your children are making, over the difficulty that you're having in pursuing sexual purity, over the state of your marriages. I see the worry, the anxiety, and the fear that is present in you and is present in me as a church. In those moments of anxiety, fear, and worry, the question that we ask is where do we turn? Do we turn to the newest book on parenting or God's word? Do we turn to peers who are as foolish as we are or God's word? Do we turn inward and isolate ourselves thinking that self-preservation is the key or do we turn to God's word? Where do we go? What do we do? Do we truly believe that God's word is enough for us to remain peaceful? Or do we fly to everything else and then as a last resort consider his word? I love it. I love what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, in addressing the question, is God's word enough for you to remain peaceful? Notice what Jesus says in John 16. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Faithful disciple of Jesus, the Savior who redeemed you has just told you that this world's a mess you didn't already know it and that the peace that we seek is found in him nowhere else it's not found in more money it's not found in more toys it's not found in more friends it's not found in more whatever 
It's found in him. And notice what he says, take heart. The world you're living in is jacked up. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I love what the Apostle Paul says earlier in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter four, notice what he says as he's addressing this idea of a life of peace. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. In the midst of my pain, yes. In the midst of my anxiety, yes. In the midst of my worry, yes. In the midst of my fear, yes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the God of peace, or rather the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, does your affirmation that God's word is enough for you to remain peaceful match your actions? Do you truly believe that his word is where we should fly to in the midst of worry, anxiety, and fear? Is God's word enough to resolve your relational issues? How many of you are the youngest siblings, right? Can I just, can I just speak to your childhood for a second? I'm the youngest of three boys. None of the strife or problems you had with your siblings was your fault, right? I know that because I'm the youngest, right? How could it be my fault? Come on, ma, right? That's not true. There's a high likelihood that there was some strife caused by me, right? In fact, my parents will often remind me of the time that they found me wailing in pain, like screaming blood, like, man, I'm getting murdered. And they, they walk downstairs and they see me sitting in the recliner by myself, yelling like my brothers are beating me while I'm watching TV, right? That's a trick. You should try it if you're still in that stage in life. So just see what happens, right? So yes, there was some strife that was caused by me. And there was some relational issues that maybe has been caused by me. But man, I would venture to say that if you're breathing today and ever had a conversation with another person, you've engaged and experienced some relational conflict. Whether it be with your husband or your wife, your son or your daughter, your brother or your sister, your mother or your father, your in-laws, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, it doesn't matter. All of us are born broken. All of us are born relationally, relationally stunted. And in those moments of conflict, in that moment of pain, is God's word enough to solve my issues? Is his word enough to provide reconciliation and redemption to a relationship with my siblings? And here's the ironic thing, is that when, when our actions don't match our affirmations, I mean, there's such irony because the greatest relational issue you've ever had is the fracturous relationship you've had with God the Father. I mean, you are born into this world with a severed relationship with the God of the universe, and the only way that redemption happens is through God's word. Isn't that crazy? Like, man, the greatest relational issue you've had was solved by the Bible. And yet in your ho-hum life, with your relationship with your siblings or your in-laws or your parents or your coworkers, the last thing to come to your mind is God's word. That's crazy. Man, if God can use his word to restore the relationship that he has with you through the power of the gospel, that you, a dirty, rotten sinner, born into this world under the curse of sin, condemned, rightly so. And the only way that a holy God 
could be restored to an unholy creation is through the perfect sacrifice of his son on the cross. To be buried three days later, rose again, and now is ascended and seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you as a disciple of Jesus. The only way you can be restored to God the Father is through the power of God's word. How much more can God's word restore the broken relationships that you're in right now? I say that as somebody guilty, guilty of my actions not matching my affirmations. Oh, church, that we would see the completeness, the beauty that God's word gives us, that we would see the the beauty of his word restoring relationships, that if we believe the gospel is enough to redeem and restore our relationship with God, then we also believe it's enough to restore our relationship with others. That's the beautiful picture of the gospel. It's the beautiful picture of what God has done. Again, in scripture, I fly to Ephesians chapter five and chapter six. That man, if, if, if there's relational issues between a husband or a wife, between a son or a daughter, between an employer and an employee, man, just open your Bible to the book of Ephesians and read chapters five and six. It addresses it all. Go to God's word. Truly affirm that God's word is enough to address those relational issues and realize that for you today, if you have yet to address the greatest relational issue you've ever had, which is the relationship between you and God, the gospel is extended to you today. That don't try to fix your relationships with others using God's word if you don't believe it. Repent first of your sins, come to faith in Christ alone and come today. Not only do we ask the question, is the gospel enough to restore and resolve relational issues, but is the gospel enough to heal brokenness? Is the gospel enough? Is God's word enough to heal brokenness? And here's what I know. I know that right now, looking out at your faces, knowing what you've asked us to pray for you about, I know there's plenty of brokenness in here. I know there's plenty of pain, heartache, and hurt, whether it be a sin you've committed or a sin that's been committed against you. I know that in our midst this morning, there's brokenness and division, there's pain, and I know, I know there are so many of you seeking answers. Let me ask you, in the darkest night of your soul, when you're alone with your brokenness in God, what's your response to him? Because in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my brokenness, it's so easy for me to turn to God, shake my fist at him and blame him for the broken world that I live in. But God's word is enough to heal your brokenness. His word is enough So in the midst of your pain, whether it be a a divorce or a death, whether it be abuse or neglect, in the midst of your brokenness, where are you turning? Are you turning to a, a doctor or a friend group, a counselor or peers, or are you turning to God's word? Are you asking God's word to speak into your life? And let me just say this morning, if you're here and you're, 
You're experiencing brokenness. You're experiencing the hurt that happens when we live in a sinful world, a broken world. Oh, how we desire to walk with you through that. Looking at God's word first. Asking God's word to be the inspired, sufficient authority for our lives. And walking alongside you, showing you God's word. Is God's word enough to heal my brokenness? Realize and hear how God views our brokenness. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, this is how God views us. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The restoration of God's word is what brings that cleansing, nothing else. And let me say this, this morning, if, if you're here and you are experiencing physical abuse, and we would love to walk alongside you and help you in that as well. You aren't alone. God hasn't left you alone, he's left you his word. He's left you this body of believers. God's word's enough to heal our brokenness. Finally, is God's word enough to speak to us today? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever made the statement, man, I just need a fresh word from God? Uh, me and the balcony, praise the Lord, okay? So I'm talking to you guys, all right? So when we make that statement, sometimes what we're assuming is that what God has said isn't enough for us today. And when we make that statement or when somebody comes up to you and says, man, I got a fresh word from the Lord for you. And I'm like, okay, what is it? I mean, you should wear red and not green on Sunday. And I'm like, man, I totally missed it. Ah! Well, hear me. God's given us his word. And, and the words that are in this book are the words that we're to live by. And realize that an infinite God has chosen a finite amount of words to communicate who he is to you and how you should live. So when we're searching for a new word from the Lord, and if we find it outside of the word he's already told us, and with as much love in my heart, hear me, that's not a word that you should live by as the authoritative inspired word. It could be an encouragement to your soul, absolutely. But if a word somebody shares with you as from the Lord is contrary to scripture, we believe scripture. We hold his word as the standard, not someone else's. God's word is enough to speak to you today. And the reality of that statement is that Man, in order for his word to speak to me today, I need to hear it today. Like I, I actually need to read the Bible. Like I can't expect God to move if I'm not investing in getting to know who he is. How selfish of us to think that. I can't expect to hear from him if I'm not reading the words he's already declared to me. How foolish am I? I don't treat my wife that way. I don't treat my work that way. I don't treat my kids that way. And man, I just really want a relationship with Janelle and if I could only know who she is, but I'm not gonna spend any time investing in her or talking to her or getting to know her, how foolish am I to think that I'd have a satisfying, fulfilled relationship with her? The same is true for God's word. God's word does speak. God's word does correct. It does train. It does rebuke. We just need to open it. 
We need to read the inspired, authoritative, sufficient word. I love that we're doing 100 days in the New Testament, by the way. How many of you are so much more encouraged with that than you were like 100 days through the Bible? Like, I love the 100 days through the Bible. Can I just be honest? 20 chapters a day, that was a little much. But I did it, and, and I was really excited when I got to the New Testament, but then the New Testament was done in a week. It's like, what happened? That was like the best part, and it's not the best part. The whole Bible is the inspired word of God. I don't want to negate my sermon, but just hear me, right? I'm really grateful that we're reading through the New Testament in 100 days, and here's why. Because it gives us a common ground to talk to one another. That man, I, I just read yesterday in the beginning of the book of Mark how Jesus was just so frustrated and so just fed up with the trash that people were throwing at him. And so much so that he just couldn't even do anything with the people in Nazareth, his hometown. Man, that breaks my heart. Man, I'm, I'm reading in the Gospel of Matthew at, at the love and the grace that Jesus extends time and time again, or I'm frustrated with Jesus at the disciples because they've watched him feed 5,000, they've watched him feed 4,000, and yet they don't get that he's enough. Wait, is that me too? I love that we have something to read together, a plan to read together and have conversations with one another because God's word does speak today, but in order for it to speak, we need to listen and we need to read and invest and hear. God's word is enough. God's word is enough to speak to us today. His word is contained in scripture. His word has been preserved in scripture and there's nothing we should add or take away from it. And hear me, it's really tempting to take away from God's word. It's really tempting to subtract the things I don't appreciate or I don't wanna change. It goes back to last week. If what God has said doesn't jive with how I'm acting or how I'm behaving, then I kill myself and subject myself to his word. I put to death the things of the flesh so that I might be made alive in the spirit. Again, God's word has something to say about this. In Revelation 22, the apostle John is writing and he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Say so what? That's a horrible promise. I don't wanna add to God's word, but listen. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. God's word is complete and it's enough to make you complete. God's word is authoritative, and it's enough to lead your life. God's word is inspired, your words aren't. Let's live by his. God has given us his word to, to furnish and fit us with every necessary component that we need to know him and live a life pleasing to him. Our answers, our affirmations, and our actions should meet one another. Second point is simply this, is God's word enough to equip me? Notice the second half of verse 17. It says, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul uses a different word here in uh, the latter part of verse 17, that word for equipped, it's a powerful word which simply means to be thoroughly prepared, to bring to an end or to finish. The promise here in God's word is that it is enough. It is enough to thoroughly prepare us, to help us finish what God began when he redeemed you. Now, how many of you are really poor finishers? 
Okay, maybe just me, all right? So in January, I decided to kind of isolate in my room for 10 days, no reason. I just decided it'd be a good idea. So I'm in my room, kind of enjoying the COVID break, and as I am, I'm looking around my room and seeing all of the things that I have yet to finish. Like there's massive holes in my wall from where I tried to put up a shelf and it didn't work. And then I took it down and then I put up the same shelf and it didn't work. And then Janelle thought, man, that doesn't look good. Then I move it around. So I got holes all over my wall. So in this 10 day period, I'm like, man, I'm going to fix it. So I get the compound, I smather it in the holes. I think that's the appropriate construction word, smather. I smather it in the holes. And it says, man, let it cure for like one or two days. I'm like, great. I've let it cure for six months. And... And actually on Friday, Janelle rolls over when we wake up and she goes, do you think we could, you know, maybe find the color of paint and, and finish painting that? I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's six months in the making. I'm just cured by now, sweetie. I'm sure it's great for us to paint, right? I'm a really poor finisher. And here's the beautiful thing about what Paul's just said. Paul's declared to us that God's word is enough to equip us to finish the task that it's given us. That man, you, you don't need me to come help you in a home improvement project, but you do need God's word to help you be fully equipped to finish what he set out before you. And notice what he set out before us. So that the man of God may be complete and equipped for what? Every good work. And we have a job to do. We have a job to do. And God's word is enough for us to know him, his will, and to live a life pleasing to him. And church, hear me. His word is enough to complete you. His word is enough to equip you, to fully furnish you with everything you need for every good work that he's prepared for you. But do our affirmations, do they match? Do they match what we say on Monday through Saturday? So here's my hope for us as a church. My hope for us is that we would move from questions to convictions. My hope for us today is that we would move from questions to convictions, that instead of asking, is the Bible truly God's word, we would move to the conviction that the Bible truly is God's word. And instead of us sitting in the question, is the Bible truly the authority in my life, we would move to the conviction that the Bible truly is the authority in my life. And instead of asking the question, man, is the Bible enough? Is it enough for me? We would move to the conviction that the Bible truly is enough, that we would be able to say with confidence that we hold these truths, these convictions, and that they inform how we live and how we interact with one another. And they show us the beauty of the God who created the cosmos. And he's given us the inspired, authoritative, sufficient word so that we might know him and live a life pleasing to him. So Gospel City, do you desire to be complete? Do you desire to be equipped? His word promises that it'll do that. Oh, that our hearts be inflamed, that we'd fan into flame a passion for his word. Now we would hold his word as the supreme authority in everything we do. That our affirmations on Sunday would, can be confirmed by our actions on Thursday. And that our actions would show our reliance upon his word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the sufficient 
authoritative, inspired word that you have said, I will believe, and it is enough. So Father, help us. Help us to strive to be complete through your word, to be equipped through your word. And help us to affirm each and every day of the week through our actions what your word has declared is true. So Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.